WSLstore.com is powered by Shopify. We love the analytics we can check on the go. A lot of us are addicted to checking the Shopify app on our phones. We also love the automations and marketing integrations with our social and YouTube channels. It has incredible features to help us manage our global audience, including international taxation support and great shipping optionality. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek skis, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US, and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash lineup, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash lineup now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash lineup. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Lineup with Dave Prodan. I'm Dave Prodan, and this is episode 132. Before we get to today's episode, some sad news. Our friend and colleague, Camille Herrera, passed away last week after a long battle with cancer. For the past six years, even when she was battling the illness, Camille was a producer for the World Surf League, working on everything from the live broadcasts to dozens of shows, both uh, on-platform and off-platform. She's been... Uh, an essential part of the company's success. And, and she possessed storytelling and production abilities that went well beyond the surfing world. She was uh, incredibly talented. And more than that, she was an especially kind and beautiful person who made an impact on, on everyone she interacted with. It's uh, horribly sad that she's no longer with us, but I can't imagine any of us would be who we are without her. And, and I can't imagine the company would be where it's at without her. She made a mark. We're very fortunate to have known her, and uh, I hope she's at peace now. You know, my, my, my heart's with her family, and um, yeah, we miss you, Camille. Okay. Today's episode is dropping days out from the final Challenger Series event of the season, the Holly of a Challenger which starts on November 26th and will determine the final qualifying class for the Elite WSL Championship Tour in 2023. The Hollywood Challenger will stream live on worldsurfleague.com as well as the WSL app. Do not miss it. Uh, quick programming note, we will have a re-air episode next week while we enjoy the holiday break, but we will be back with fresh episodes after that to close the year out 
as well as some exciting new developments for the lineup in 2023. More on that later. All right, episode 132. Today's guest is someone who has been on the podcast before, but is back to break down where we sit on the 2022 Challenger Series rankings on the eve of the final event of the season. A longtime elite championship tour surfer himself, his characteristic speed and power was an absolute force amongst the world's best. And even though he's been a few years retired from CT competition, I have the pleasure of surfing with him quite often, and I dare say he has not lost a step at all. Uh, he's maybe even gained a couple. As a senior tour manager for the WSL, he's been an integral part of the tours and competition redesign, which continues to flourish in its full flight first year. And I can't wait to see what happens next season. We talk about all this and more. Please enjoy the lineups conversation with South Africa's Travis Logie. The good old clap, take one. That's right. How many of you knew what you wanted to be when you were seven years old? I did. I wanted to be world champion. Hey, is there honesty involved in this podcast? Can we be honest? We can shut your fucking lips. And then I'll just say, put them up once. Let's go. He's like, you look too pretty on the wave. Get ugly. We can talk about DMT if you want. your <laughs> box. All right. It is that time of year again. It's just like the return of Elf on the Shelf or Snoop on the Stoop. We have none other than Senior Manager of Tours and Competition, Travis Logie, back on the lineup today to break down where the Challenger Series sits heading into the final event of the season, the Holly of a Challenger, in just a few days after this recording drops. Travis, thanks so much for coming back on the lineup. Good to be back, Davy. Good man. And, and you're back here. You're in L.A. You know, uh, El Porto is has been graced with your presence once again. It's been a pretty rough fall. But like what what's going on? Have you been surfing this week? I have. I've gotten a few times. The water's freezing cold again. Those the glory months we had of the board shorts days are gone. I still funnel waves. You know how it gets. Yeah, I was joking the other day. I'm like, I'm up here north of uh, Point Magoo. I'm like, I'm pretty sure we skipped right over 3-2 season. It went from like being really warm, spring suits, maybe board shorts on a few days up here, straight to like 4-3. And I, I have these 3-2s. I'm like, I'm going to wear this today. And I've paddled out and gone like, oh my God, what's going on? Yeah, I, I haven't used a 4-3 in about 11, 12 years. So I'm, I'm committed <laughs> to the 3-2 no matter what. Um, and in the summertime, I don't surf longer than 45 minutes. So you can imagine my winter surfs are going to be pretty abrupt. <laughs> but that's, we talked about this last time. That's, that's decades of competitive programming for you where you're like, I am programmed to surf in 30 to 45 minute chunks and then get out of the water. <laughs> 100%. It just feels, after about 30 minutes, it just feels like it's time to go for me. <laughs> I also catch so many waves. I'm just such a little frother that I, you know, I'm just catching everything. So I, I get a lot of work done quickly. So 30, 30 or 45 minutes is, is plenty for me, especially when it's this cold. Very, very efficient. So as of recording, we've completed six of the seven events on the 2022 WSL Challenger Series. We started on the Gold Coast, Manly, Belito, Huntington Beach, Aracera, and the recently completed Sakurama. Have you been on the ground for all six events this year? I wasn't in Australia, but I've been at, at the rest and it's been, it's been pretty incredible. The standard of surfing is the highest I've ever seen at this level. So really excited going into Haliva. Awesome. Well, I, I definitely want to get your breakdown of those venues here um, in our second segment. But 
let's start with the locked-in qualifiers. Um, at the end of the Haleiwa Challenger event, the top five women and the top 10 men will graduate to the big leagues, the 2023 WSL Championship Tour. And we already know uh, a handful of, of these qualifiers. Um, starting with the women, we have Macy Callahan, Molly Picklum, and Katie Simmers. Um, you know, looking at, at Macy and Molly, these are two Aussies who have been on the championship tour before. Um, you know, Avoca Beach's Macy Callahan had a few years on the CT before falling off at the end of 2021. And now she's back and leading the rankings heading into Haleiwa. You know, your own championship tour career saw you qualify for the show uh, a few different times. What what changed for you between, you know, the first run against the world's best and the second one? And do you think that would ap apply to someone like Macy heading into 2023? 100%. It's, it's just such a learning curve. You don't know what to expect your first year. Um, I was really lucky. My first couple of years, I managed to requalify through the CT, but then I, I had to start doing it through the QS for a couple of years. And, but I stayed on and then had to come back again and... Um, it's you, you definitely come back with with your wits about you better preparation you know a lot of the times for these surfers they go into these all these locations for the first time ever and that's what it was right. like for me i had no idea what kind of boards to bring um some of the shapers i was working with had never shaped boards for these venues so i'm sure it's the same for surfers like macy um and she just looks like in such a great space this year she's just had this super calm confidence about her which um, you could tell pretty early that it was going to be a good year for her. You can see the surfers and the difference in their temperament pretty early on. Um, they're not super reactive to conditions or a heat going the wrong way. They're just like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll win the next one. And that's kind of, it seems like it's been her attitude and a few of the other surfers that are solidified already. Um, and that's super important too. You know, when you were on tour, you know, as you said, you had uh, several years during your first run and then fell off, came back on. Surfing to me, just as an observer, seems like the performances change so much, even season to season. Is that something you noticed, at least between those first couple of stints, just because surfing is always progressing? So even if you have a season where it doesn't work out, you fall off and you come back on, it's, it's not even about getting back to the level where you were before. It's like the levels evolved as well. Is that, is that fair? That's totally fair. And actually, during my tenure on tour, it was actually quite an abrupt change, especially after my, I'd say it was my third year on tour when I got back on in 2008. Um, that was when kind of Geordie and Dane and all the crew were coming through. And you all of a sudden, it was, everybody had a pretty similar talent level. Obviously, there were a few anomalies like Kelly, Taj, Mick, and so on, Andy. But everyone else had a pretty uh, similar talent level and it was all just coming down to heat smarts and catching the best waves. And then all of a sudden you had these guys in the heats that that didn't even have to wait for set waves. They could get nines or eights mm. on just anything and it completely blows out your strategy. And um, some of us on the tour uh, kind of overreacted to that and try to be air guys too. I was guilty of that for a while, which was terrible for my <laughs> surfing. Um, Putting when I tail just, pads on your boards and everything. <laughs> 100%. I should have just backed myself in what I was doing, kind of like what surfers like Ace and Car did and they ended up getting wins and um, but, but yeah, you, you, you see these levels change year in, year out, and you have to keep up with it or you just get eaten alive. It's such an interesting point. And I, I even remember, you know, during Andy's return, you know, and sadly his last year on tour in 2010, I remember him being pretty vocal about how insecure he was in his own surfing because he'd been away. And as you said, he goes, I think he had a comment about like, you know, people are out there doing like rodeo flips and heats and he's like, I, I don't do that, but it's. It's 
so sad in hindsight because it's like you think of it and you're like, hey, man, if you just stick to your own brand of surfing and you're surfing at 80% even, like that's still going to get excellent scores because you're surfing the, the thing you know how to do is still still elite level. But as you said, it's it's easy to get inside your own head and being like, it feels like the trend's moving in this direction. I have to change my surfing when in reality, it, it's better to kind of stick to your strengths. 100%. I mean, if, if you see the, the kind of surfing that Ethan's doing nowadays or what Mick and Joel were doing when they were on tour winning world titles, you don't, you don't necessarily need to be doing, I mean, it would be handy to have the full repertoire, but if your repertoire is good enough in what you do and you can back it, you know, that stuff can go to your head and just once, once a bit of doubt settles in, it's like a virus. It starts getting into everything and it, it starts affecting your decisions in the heats with priority, with surfboards and all that sort of stuff. So um, that's when it's also super important to have good people around you to say, no, just focus on what you're good at and you'll have a great career. Yeah. Now, Molly Picklum, she had a spot on the championship tour this year, but she couldn't survive that midseason relegation in, in Margaret River. Similar to Brisa Hennessy in 2021, who fell off tour, requalified via the CS in the same season, and then actually found herself in the WSL Final Five at Trestles this year. You know, Molly doesn't have to wait a whole year to return to the show. And, and she is one of, you know, really, and, and almost at the vanguard of this next generation of women coming through the ranks, at least from like an outside observer's perspective. Is that something that you're seeing on the ground as well? 100%. I, I think that Molly's ceiling is is just gigantic. Um, the way she surfs already, I mean, she's still a junior and she probably did mm. the best turn of the year at Margaret River. I've watched that turn a thousand times. It was just <laughs> yeah. crazy. So I'm super excited to see her back. Uh, Well-deserved this year. She's been so consistent. Those top three girls, Katie, Macy, and Molly, have just completely eaten away at all the points. Um, Betty Lou as well, she's, she's been really consistent too, um, and she's almost there. But uh, yeah. th those three, and, and Molly, I think, I think this year is going to be really interesting to see how she goes because now she's had a taste of it. I was having mm. a chat to Marco about her um, in Brazil, who's her coach, and and she's just a, a dream to coach. You know, she just soaks it all in, and she's fired up for anything, any conditions. She's just excited for the challenge, which is the the attitude you want to have. Right. On the topic of the the next generation, you mentioned her already, but California's Caitlin Simmers is back. Uh, she qualified last year. She declined uh, her spot on the CT, saying she wanted to mature further before really taking on the world's best, which is actually a similar uh, arc to your competitive nemesis, Taj Burrow, back in the late 90s. <laughs> but now she's accepted a spot on the 2023 championship tour. You know, what are your thoughts when it comes to Katie Simmers both as a surfer and also as that decision um, last year to to defer, really. Well, it wasn't a deferral. She had to requalify again, but she basically said, I know, politely declined my spot amongst the world's best, which is really unheard of uh, in surfing. Yeah, it's Katie's really intriguing. I mean, to have that confidence to go, no, thanks, I'll just do it next year. It's just... Uh it's just amazing. Um, and you can't, you can't buy and you can't manufacture that type of confidence, but fair enough. I think she knows, and we all know that she's an absolute freak. Um, she's just like a mini little John John. She reminds me so much of John John when she surfs her style and even like the line she draws and stuff. Um, so I, I think we could be seeing one of the brightest stars we've ever seen in the sport, um, coming through. So, uh, yeah, th this crop of, um, men and women coming through the challenger series this year, it's, it's the most excited I've ever been about the surfers joining the CT for sure. For sure. And, and I mean, geez, you know, it, it's, it's, 
it's an interesting topic to dive into the 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 uh, declining a spot on the CT, right? Because surfing as a community, it, it's obsessed with the cult of youth, and it's always about who's next, like younger and younger and younger. But you know, so often we see really young surfers, both on the men's and women's side. Maybe they 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 have this juggernaut run to the championship tour, and they get there and they realize, holy crap! Like the level and the speed and the strategy is so so high. It's the highest it gets on the championship tour, and we see you know a lot of those really meteoric rising stars have a hard time, and some of them never kind of meet the expectations that were laid out before them, and and it'll be interesting. Like Caitlin's still obviously very very young, but but it is just going to be interesting to see how she deals with the tour this year where you can look at even someone comparatively talented like a Betty Lucifer Johnson who's also really young who did take her spot last year but but couldn't make the mid-season cut. Yeah, 100%. I think a big part of it too is just seeing how she does in in a bunch of those locations she probably hasn't surfed yet, Pipeline, Chopu. Right. Um so yeah, declining a spot's always a risk especially on the on the Challenger series, you know, it's the, the cream always rises to the top no matter what, but it's never a guarantee with, you know, you got to go through four-man heats, three-man heats, got to surf in all types of conditions. <laughs> so it was a, it was an interesting call, but I back it too. You know, if, if you're not ready, we do we do obsess about pot- potential a lot in, in, in all yeah. sports and, and surfing is no dif- different. So when you have a young surfer coming through, we, de- we definitely get obsessed about her ceiling and her potential, but... Um, I think it was a great call. She's developed so much in this last year and uh, next year is going to be great. On the men's side, we have returning championship tour surfers, Leonardo Fioravanti and Ryan Callanan rejoining the elite after falling off tour at the mid-season relegation point at Margaret River this year. You've obviously watched both of these surfers, both Leo and Ryan, surf quite a bit. What are your thoughts on both of them in terms of what they bring to that elite level? And and how do you think they're going to respond to the first five events again this season after having tasted falling off tour this year? Yeah, it's interesting with those two. I mean, it just speaks volumes to the level that's on the CT that you have surfers of that caliber that are continually having to qualify back onto the CT um, you could argue that both of them, like a, like last time I was on, I said Jordy had kind of underachieved um, when you mm. look at his talent level. For for those two, for Ryan and, and Leo, it's probably a similar sort of story, but I mean, they're still in the prime of their careers, so they can turn that around. Um, and yeah, it's it's just interesting to see. They were two of the guys when they when they missed the cut and, and didn't get back on. Um, they def, They had the attitude, okay, let's do this. Let's let's mm. get after it. Let's get this challenger series, and and look what happened. They've absolutely dominated those two in Rio, and um, they're back on for next year. And those guys, both of them, um, really don't have too many weaknesses. They've got their air game. They're both mm. charged. They're good in barrels. They've got good open face. All the locations they're going to be um, they're going to be a challenge. So um, well deserved. Yeah, it's an interesting comment you made about the. And obviously, like people on the ground and people watching online, it was palpable, like how upsetting and and how disappointing it was for surfers who didn't survive that midseason relegation. But as you pointed out with both Leo and Ryan, they their attitudes flipped very, very quickly to tackle the Challenger series. And that didn't happen, you know, across the board for all the CT surfers that 
that missed the midseason relegation. They ended up on the Challenger Series, and some of these superstars, some of these title contenders, weren't able to perform. Hundred percent. When I was back and back on tour, back in the old days, um, I used to give <laughs> myself twenty four hours to feel sorry for myself, no matter how I lost, whether I blamed it on the judges or myself or my boards or the conditions. <laughs> I gave my tw- myself 24 hours to feel sorry for myself. And then I was just back thinking about the next event. Um, and I think that's probably why I overachieved a little bit and had such a, such a long career. And um, I think that's so, it's so important. You, you can sit around feeling sorry for yourself, but you don't have a time machine. All you can focus on is the next event. And there was quite a distinct line in, in what I saw, the, the attitudes of some of the surfers coming back onto the Challenger Series this year. And it played out in their results. It's, it's interesting to get your insight into how you treated loss as a competitor, right? Because I think it flies in the face of maybe two other approaches, which is um, I'm only going to be disappointed, I'm only going to stew, or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to refuse to be disappointed, right? And, and neither of which are probably healthy. So it's interesting to hear that you kind of like laid out a little window where you said, look, I've got 24 hours. I'm going to be as negative as I physically can be. And then after that, I'm done. And it probably was cathartic to get it out of your system and then create a delineation between, okay, that was that. Now I've got to focus on moving ahead. 100%. And I wish I, I wish I could claim that I came up with that on my own. It's just I have, <laughs> I have friends and brothers that wouldn't let me feel sorry for myself for too long. Right. Right. They would hammer me after, yeah, just shut up and get on with it. Come on, you got an event coming up. So, yeah. um, but, I, but I found that worked for me. I mean, the, the stuff, it's, there's, there's not one formula for this stuff, but that's what worked for me. I, I, and I think that works across the board for a lot of people um, because so much of this stuff, like I said, the talent level is so high. Everyone's fitness is so high these days. Their preparation is on point. Everyone's so professional. So it really come, boils down to those small things, your attitude and then um, your decisions in the moment during a heat. Those are the two, the two things you can kind of control. Right. So, so if hour 25 kicked up and you're texting, you know, your brother's date and ride and be like, you know, these fins, I just think these fins and they're like, ah, ah, no, done. So you had your window. We're not talking about it anymore. Yeah. They, they weren't having it. They weren't having it. I would automatically end up being the butt of the joke. So they gave me my 24 yeah, right. hours and, sure. then it, and then it was forget about it. Move on. I like it. You know, in addition to, to Leo and Ryan locking their spots on the 2023 CT, we have history being made um, with Indonesia's first full-time qualifier for the championship tour in Rio Waido, which is so exciting. Um, you know, y- you've seen Rio surf so much in recent years. Um, he's a, a Quicksilver team rider. I'm not sure if he was on the program when you were on the program, but what are your thoughts on Rio just as a surfer in terms of what he'll bring to the CT? And, and then also maybe talk a little bit about just how historically significant it is that you know, Indonesia, which is sort of, you know, the mecca of high performance waves and has so, so many great surfers finally has a full-time qualifier on the championship tour. Yeah. I remember the first time I saw Rio surfing out snapper at the Quicksilver Pro on the Gold Coast. Um, and he was just being a little menace in the lineup. <laughs> it was still when I was on tour, sure. I think he was just there. Quicksilver would bring some groms over and I, was, I said to him, <laughs> who's that? And he told me, Little kid from Indo, he's like, he's going to make it one day. I was like, yeah, yeah, I've heard that before. But um, sure, yeah. I, yeah, a couple of years later, oh, man, we've, we've known about him. Even though he's so young, um, we've known about him for a while now. I mean, some of the clips he's been dropping online of him surfing. He just does really, really big turns in, on really big sections. So 
we've known digitally that he has what it takes to get big scores, potentially in CT type conditions, but that really means nothing until you, until you pale out in a, in a competition jersey. Um, and then this year he just, he did that. And he's such a little weapon, his attitude, and he's so competitive and so revved up for it. Um, even though he qualified super early this year, after his lo- he's had losses after that where he's been just devastated. Um, right. But it just fires him up for the next one. And um, yeah, just going back to being the first Indonesian, man, it's, I mean, it, it, was, all, it was eventually going to happen with the wave quality and the abundance of surf they have there and all the spots. Um, and then every, every time I've gone back there, you see all these groms coming up and it's, it was a matter of time, but so stoked it's finally happened. It's going to be huge for that country. He's already a national hero. So um, I hope, and I'm pretty sure it'll inspire a bunch of young Indonesians to come through and follow in his footsteps. For sure. You know, and, and I'm curious to get your take on this too, because I've heard a few of the pundits talk about, you know, he's he's a smaller guy. Um, he's not like physically large. He's not like a Jordy or, you know, a Gabriel or someone, but he's so, so fast. And, and that speed is sort of reminiscent of, you know, a Felipe Toledo. So when it comes to those first five events on the championship tour in 2023, they're all held at pretty meaty, you know, critical waves. You got Pipeline and Sunset Beach and Super Tubos and Bells Beach and Margaret River. And, you know, I think there's a tendency for the, the commentary class to kind of write off those smaller, speedier surfers. But really, that, that speed is such an asset when it comes to power surfing that, you know, you see people like Felipe, even when they were rookies and young, like surfing so, so well out at Sunset Beach, at Margaret River, at, at Bells Beach, that it's not really a disadvantage. They're just using that, that asset compared to maybe like a physical stature to perform. 100%. And, and I think with the whole speed thing, it's also if you've got good equipment and you know how to harness that speed, um, it can be a real advantage whether you're a small guy or a big guy or in between. I mean, I'm just looking at guys like Adriano, um, Philippe, like you used, Italo, um, Trent Monroe. My mind's going back there. He was a smaller guy, but he did massive yeah. turns on, on really big waves. Um, it's just all the lines you draw and controlling and harnessing that speed. Um, it's, it's super important, especially if you are a smaller guy, because you probably don't have the power of some of the bigger guys. So you make up for it with with speed and kind of where you're putting your rail on, on the face of the wave, maybe getting a little bit tighter to the lip, making your turns look a little bit more radical, taking a little bit more risk, but having that um, like innate natural speed really helps you through those uh, those moments on a wave. Um, and yeah, he's he's got it in abundance. And from what I've seen, um, I haven't seen him out at Pipeline or Chobes or any of those ways, but I've seen him out at some pretty solid stuff in, in, in Indonesia and stuff. And uh, yeah, he, he's got the full package. <laughs> That's super exciting. I'm really excited for you know the three women and the three men that have already locked their spots for the 23 Championship Tour. We're going to take a quick break to get a word in from our sponsors, and we'll be right back. WSLstore.com is powered by Shopify. We love the analytics we can check on the go. A lot of us are addicted to checking the Shopify app on our phones. We also love the automations and marketing integrations with our social and YouTube channels. 
It has incredible features to help us manage our global audience, including international taxation support and great shipping optionality. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek skis, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US, and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way, because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash lineup, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash lineup now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash lineup. So before we get into, you know, your experiences and your year on, on the 2022 Challenger Series, it's probably a good idea to refresh listeners on what it is and, and how it's evolved from prior qualification systems. You know, previously we had the two-tier system, we had the Elite Championship Tour, as well as an international qualifying series in which there were a number of different rated events. Post-pandemic, we implemented this three-tier system, which is the Elite Championship Tour, the Global Challenger Series, and the Regional Qualifying Series. You've had your, your hands all over the architecting of this new system, and you've been sort of on the ground, both at the Regional Qualifying Series level as well as the Challenger Series level. What have you seen comparisons and contrasts between the two systems, um, it, it, just from your perspective? Yeah, it's interesting because I think both systems, like I said before, ultimately the cream rises to the top. But mm. in the old system, if you were coming out of the juniors or coming out of your region or you had a year, a, like a big injury and you were off for a couple months, you'd have to come out of your region with zero seating points, zero points and travel around the world doing 1,000s and 3,000s, just trying to get enough seeding points to get into the 6,000s the following year and then do those and then hopefully get into the 10,000s the following year. Um, so it was very cost heavy on the surfers. Um, it served its purpose. I think ultimately the best surfers qualified in the end, but it wasn't. And at the time in the heyday of the surf industry, it was fine. Most surfers, uh, decent surfers in their region would have a sponsor to give them a shot. Um, times right. have changed and just, we, we have to be responsible on how we set out these, these, these tours. Um, so with, with the new format, with coming through from the regions, now when you do leave your, your region, you're going for the biggest tiers possible besides the CT. You're going straight into the Challenger Series. Um, 
this year we had seven last year we had four um next year we might have more we might have the same but ultimately it qualifies the best surfers and there's way less demand on them financially which means the sport mm. stays way less exclusive and it gives all these regions a good shot um and it's it's starting to really take shape you see these regions now their tours are are blossoming um surfers are really getting behind it sponsors are really getting behind it and um yeah i, I think the old way was fine but I, i'm not sure um the end justified the means um in the end there and we were going to make this change anyway and obviously the pandemic right uh really sped things up and and we we made the call which is it's it's been great I'm glad you brought that up too, because I was going to say the same thing. It was this was in the process of happening even before the pandemic, just because of all the reasons you outlined. It's it felt unnecessarily punitive on a financial level for surfers to say, okay, look, it's a global QS. There's all these different levels. If you're a surfer in Australia, you can go to Europe, Africa, America, and pick up points. And especially for young surfers matriculating through the development tiers, it's like, I might not be ready, you know, to go there. You know, I don't, it's like you get thrown out of the juniors and it's like, that might just be lighting money on fire. Whereas I've heard this time and time again, both on the qualifying series and the challenger series from competitors at each level where they say, you know, yeah, I, 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 I surf close to home and I can really discover if, you know, performing in the live arena and performing my best is something I can do making it through that regional qualifying series is a proof point that, yeah, I should, I shouldn't invest or my sponsor should invest in me doing this middle tier. Um, and it feels like it's been working out really well. And then on the challenger series side, I've heard from so many competitors that even though it's not a hundred percent static field with the men and women, it, it mostly is, you know, there's a few people that come in and come out, but they've all kind of highlighted the point of, the level's elevated because everyone that's gotten there's had to come through their regional QS and it injects just less kind of randomness um, in terms of results where it's like, I'm performing against this level of surfers. I have to surf my best. And, and as you said, the cream, the cream rises to the top. Yeah. Um, the old version I used to refer to it as the, the international soup because it was just a bunch of rating. Like it was one rating, but it was just coming from so many different places. And if it, it was, Servers had to like strategize which events because events would overlap right. and count for the same tour and you'd have to strategize which event to go to. And um, yeah, you know, when, I, when my team and I sat down and looked at the data at how much servers were spending um, versus how much they were making at the end of the year on the qualifying series, it was such a small pointy end of the, the tip that was, that was even breaking even, um, traveling around the world, just trying to get a seating. So, so now, you know, when we, when we put them on a on a plane to go overseas to to compete it's they're, they're in for a shot of qualifying that year which is yeah i mean just just that on its own is was reason enough to make the change um and and in, in the old way of doing things if you like i said if you got a bad injury or if you wanted to take a year off you were you'd go right back to the bottom of the of the pile and you'd have to start again on the 1000s and the 3000s and and that's a global thing Whereas now you, that could happen and, and you just go and you surf in your region and you can come through, through that. So it's, um, it's, it's a way better model and it's working out nicely. I like, I like the, the international soup term. I, I remember in the old system, obviously we, we finished in Hawaii, but there would be surfers who would sort of rise throughout the year and you're like, great, that person's going to be on tour. That person's going to be on tour. And then you know, right before Hawaii would hit, 
there'd be some event somewhere as often in Brazil, and, and the surfers that were at the top of the rankings weren't there. And I'm sure they were going, wait, what just happened to my ranking? Like that event happened, and now I'm, you know, I've gone to 15th. What the hell? And so at least now they kind of can look at those seven events and say, okay, I can strategize a bit better. I, I know that my top four results are going to count, and um, I can I can feel a little more confident about where I'm sitting as as that season uh, develops. Yeah, exactly. And and also from an entertainment standpoint, it's a much more compelling story because you have all yep. these surfers qualifying and those are the surfers for the year. So you can really follow the arc of their ranking through the year. Whereas the previous models, I mean, people you'd never heard of could all of a sudden come through and then fall out two, two events later. So right. it was it was just really all about the rankings before, whereas now it's, it's just a much more uh, complete package for sure. Let's run through the uh, the events that we've had this season. So you weren't on the ground, but but we opened up with Snapper Rocks and then went went to Manly. And one of the things that I noticed, um, and this makes a ton of sense, is you know the Snapper Rocks event, um, which was the uh, Snapper Rocks Challenger presented by Rip Curl on the Gold Coast. It it happened right after that mid season relegation on the Championship Tour in Margaret River, and so you had such a high number of CT surfers that entered the event, you know, and some of them may have been hedging, you know, I might, I might not make relegation. I should sign up for this event. Some of them were probably thinking, well, I'm in Australia anyway, it's magic may I can surf snapper rocks with just a few people out. But the makeup of that first event was, was really interesting. Yeah. It was a, it was a tough one field wise, because like you said, there were a lot of CT surfers that necessarily didn't need to be there but they were there and and Callum went there and gobbled up all the <laughs> points which is going to be beneficial for the guys at the end trying to sneak in um but yeah the the and the level of surfing showed which is which is great it's great to kick off the year like that and to, and to show some of the guys and girls like this is the level you need to be at if you want to if you want to get on tour and stay on tour Right. And I'd heard like a few criticisms of like, well, it's not fair that like I have to surf against the CT surfer but at the same time it's like well you know, anyone may have to surf against a CT surfer. And by, by the way, like the whole point of doing this tier of competition is you're going to end up there, you know? And so if you cannot beat them now, like, like this is the level that you have to look at and be at. Yeah. And I'd also argue, would it be fair for us to say this, tell the CT surfers that they couldn't do these events if there's a challenger series in their region, or they wanted to go and keep shop um, for the CT upcoming CTs and, and stay match ready. Um, and also they add so much value to these events that it's, it's, we're always going to welcome them with open arms. So, um, yeah, if, if you want to be the best, you got to beat the best and that holds true today. Yeah. And so you mentioned, you know, Callum, he defeats Sheldon Simkus, um, on the gold coast and the aforementioned Katie Simmers defeated the aforementioned Molly Picklum. So good indicator of where the, the women's, uh, CS rankings ended up. The second event was the GWM Sydney, uh, surf pro, uh, presented by rip curl down in Manly, radically different field makeup than the gold coast. You didn't have as many, uh, CT surfers. And, and that's where you had Rio Wida take down Ryan Callanan in the final. And then Teresa Bonvalot defeat, uh, Nikki Van Dyke, anything you noticed remotely performance wise at Manly compared to, to snapper rocks. The, the level was for both of them was super high. I think, I think the waves in Manly were just so, especially on those final couple of days, um, it was just so fun. It was so high performance. Um, and that's what you want. Um, and very consistent to lots of opportunities for the surfer. So it was so entertaining. Um, Ryan and Rio were by far the best surfers on the, in, on the men's side. And same, same with uh, Teresa and Nikki on the women's side. So 
Um, I always love that when there's when we have events with decent waves and lots of opportunity, you really see the, the form surface of the event come through. Um, there's just no excuses. So uh, yeah, it was a, the Australia League was a great way to start the year. Both events were super exciting. And then the, the Challenger Series heads to, to your homeland uh, for the Bolito Pro presented by O'Neill. What was it like for you being on the ground for the first time this season? You know, a lot of these competitors had momentum either in, in either direction um, heading into Bolito. We'd had two events in Australia, and the event was ultimately won by Rio Waida, who defeated uh, Gatian Delahaye in the final, and then Molly Picklam, who defeated Macy Callahan. You know, give us your impressions from, from South Africa, what you saw from some of the surfers, and, and just what it was like to be on the ground. Yeah, Belido was an interesting one this year. The, the sand was completely different to how it normally is. And we ended up having to run the bulk of the event in, on the beach to the side from where the main podium was. Um, it was really challenging conditions-wise, I'm not going to lie. Um, so that was very interesting in itself, just watching how, how the surfers would tackle that. And we, depending on the tide, we were moving back and forth between the two locations. So the surfers really had to take that in into consideration as well, you know, maybe change of equipment, change of strategy. Um, right. So that all played out and um, it, we ended up running and finishing on a, on a pretty decent day of conditions and the surfing was amazing. Um, and that, that was kind of, you started to see the rankings take shape and Rio, Rio really pull ahead and Macy pull right, right up the rankings as well and Molly too. So um, yeah, Belito was great this year. Water was warm, the weather was amazing. So it's always a great event. I love going home. You know, the, the sand surf thing, I'm interested to get your take because we haven't talked about it, but, you know, we're in a, a La Nina, you know, seasonal cycle around the globe at the moment. Does that have an impact or do you think that had an impact on the Bolito event? Because it's obviously wreaked a bit of havoc on the CT in, in either direction. You know, some of the events had incredible waves, some of them not so much. It feels like it has. I mean, I, I don't really pay too much attention to that stuff just because it is the ocean and, and you just never guaranteed sure. anything anyways. It's so variable. Even forecasting, as good as it's gotten, it can still be wrong on any given day. Um, but maybe it has just because today has been pretty wild. The, this year has been pretty wild, the fluctuations in the, in the quality of waves that you'd expect normally. Um, but then again, we went to the next event, which I'm sure you'll touch on um, after the US Open. We speak about the US Open with Eris Hera was absolutely pumping and so was Sakurama. So yep. made up for it. Yeah, well, let's let's talk about it. We had the, from Belito, we went to the Vans US Open. You know, the US Open's an event that, same with Belito, it's been around for decades, but it is, it's, you know, having traveled around to so many events, it is a unique vibe, right? It's in sort of the backyard of Velcro Valley, the surf industry, there's... It is a festival. There's a ton of people. You know, there's contracts being negotiated for for athletes. Um, there's a lot of pressure. You know, and and it it's at a, a a venue that has a ton of history and heritage that so many surfers have competed at, and and several of the Challenger Series surfers had competed at before. Um, ultimately, it was won by a couple of big guys um, on on the men's side. Zeke Lau took out Zhao Xianka, the not small dudes. And then on, on the women's side, Betty Lucicura Johnson took out Macy Callahan. You were there the whole week. What did you see? Did, did anything kind of change in terms of the pace of the season at the U.S. Open? Yeah, the U.S. Open, it, like you said, it's full festival vibes. Um, and we actually, for, for Huntington, relative to other years, we had a really good year, like tons of swell, finished in really decent waves. Um, 
and yeah, it's just it's just interesting seeing the storylines take shape. Zeke get a big win, and uh, Zhao coming back after being uh, knocked off the CT. Um, and both of them are right now. If you look at the rankings, they're both just on the cusp. A big result at Haliva could do it for them. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, the, these guys and girls that have that have had these big results through the year. Um, hopefully, it, it pulls them through in Haliva and. Um, US Open is always an interesting one. Like you said, it's, it's full festival vibes. There's thousands of people on the beach, so it definitely is added pressure. And it just feels like one of those marquee events that there's something different about it. There's a bit more prestige if you win it because um, it's been around so long and just the sheer amount of people on the beach behind it. So uh, it, it does feel like a bit of added pressure for some reason down there. Yeah, Zhao Shianka, I'll, I'll call out. He's my candidate for, um, man, I don't, I, this must have been like since 2008. I can't remember when he fell off tour, but I remember pretty early on when I started, uh, Sean Cansdell had one of those seasons where he was on the CT. He was doing both the CT and the QS, which is what surfers used to have to do if they wanted to double dip. And I swear that in virtually every event, he got eliminated with like a heat total of like 16, 17, 18 points out of 20 that would have won every other heat in that round. But, but every time, whether it was a CT event or a QS event, the person that beat him had like, you know, an 18 points or a 19 points. And I'm like, how is it possible that this person who's surfing so well, just has like such bad luck, but it seems like every season there's one or two surfers, both on the men's and women's side, where it's like the ball's just not bouncing in your way. And for someone like Zhao, I feel like he had a really, really good run on the CT and he just kind of got unlucky because he just ran into kind of these like, apex predators that were putting up huge scores yeah i mean I, th I think ethan ewing was another one that had it in one of his years on yeah. the ct just huge heat scores just doing unbelievable surfing and somehow didn't make it and and jao this year you could argue that he was he was up there in probably the top 10 performers uh, if you just take a few individual heats like top three or four heats i remember some of the stuff he did at bells some of the surfing did at bells some of the waves he got at pipe um he's an incredible surfer i just love how he just goes for it every single turn is 1000 percent um and uh he's just a he's so exciting to watch when guys have that approach guys and girls have that approach so um yeah he's in with he'll he'll be deadly at haliva too if there's swell he he's definitely gonna be one of the one of the crew to look out for for sure for sure and and um you know, similar to what we were talking about before, like just like Brisa Hennessy last year, just like, um, you know, Molly this year and Ryan and Leo, like the way it's designed now, even though Zhao fell off the CT at the midway point, like with a performance in Haliva, he could be back on at the start of next season without missing a beat. So it'll be uh, it'll be interesting to watch in Haliva. You mentioned the the surf was pumping for this next one. This was the EDP Vizla Pro Portugal. Um, Interesting venue, right, at Aracera. And then the winners were ultimately uh, Leonardo Fioravanti, who uh, defeated Ryan Callanan, and then Macy, Macy Callahan, who, <laughs> that's going to screw me up, who <laughs> defeated Katie Simmers. Um, you know, what was it like being in Portugal? W what is that wave like for people who had never been there? And, and then obviously getting, getting swell is a uh, cherry on top. That wave's, it's an interesting wave because there's parts of it that kind of remind me of bells and then there's parts of it mm. depending on the swell direction it can kind of almost feel like a bit snapper um so it, it depends on the swell direction depends on the size but it's such a high performance wave no matter what and uh that's why we love going there there's always there's always enough swell um for that event we just have to dodge the fog <laughs> but if there's no <laughs> fog you can guarantee there's going to be exciting surfing going on and um, this year was no different. And, and we got blessed with so much swell this event. And uh, the, the level was incredible. It's, it's, 
it's just every year going back there, you know, the, the, it just goes up and up and, and you see surfers starting to do airs where they were doing floaters before. And it's quite a noticeable thing, right? And um, yeah, when it's, it's, I sound like a broken record, but when you have waves like that and, and tons of opportunity, um, the best performers of the event tend to end up in the final. And that's what, and that's what happened. Uh, and uh, the, it, was a, it was a highlight event for me this year, for sure. Yeah. We we talked about it before, but you've just come back from Brazil for the the sixth of seven stops, the Sacarema Pro, presented by Banco de Brazil. Um, I'll start with the women because I've got a couple of thoughts on the on the men's winner. But Alyssa Spencer defeated Tessa Tyson there. Um, it's a CT venue, you know. This is this is really interesting because if uh, you know Alyssa or really any of the other Challenger Series surfers on the women's side. Uh, make it to the CT in 2023, and they they survive the midseason relegation. They're going to have real time experience at, at this particular venue. Yeah, yeah, and it's a great venue. It is just so consistent. Like even on the forecast, it looked like we were going to have a great event, but it it even outdid the forecast, which it always does. There, it, it always feels like it kind of gets under forecast. There, just such a magnet for right. swell, and there always seems to be a decent sandbank. So it is a it is a really great uh, competition venue. For CT and for Challenger, yeah. Now, now Gabriel Medina, uh, three-time world champion, he uh, performed in Sakurama. He won the event. He defeated Moroccan Ramsey Bukiem, who is who's on the cusp of, of qualifying himself, which will be exciting. You know, I brought this up on on last week's podcast with Jack Robinson, and and I, we were talking about how how the importance of physical fitness maybe it was all, always there, but certainly not at this level and certainly not across the board on the championship tour. And it's certainly not this forward facing. And Gabriel was basically there with his training team to test himself and to see how hard can I train? How much can I train to continue to get stronger without compromising competitive performance which I don't think it's that's some Ivan Drago shit. Like we've never really seen that on tour and he comes in there and he wins the event while training for the 2023 championship tour. It, it, it feels like one of the most aggressive shots across the bow that we've ever seen in surfing. What, what was it like being there for you on the sand? Yeah. I was seeing some of his tra training regime stuff that he was doing before seats and was making me tired just watching it. <laughs> and, then <he> would, <laughs> and then he would paddle out, catch, 10 waves in the matter of 20 minutes because he gets so many waves and oh, it's he's just a fitness beast. And uh, like you said, the, the, the level of fitness and professionalism on the CT is at an all-time high. And I, I think it has to be, especially when you're getting into finals day, when you might have to serve three or four times, um, that could really be the difference at the end of the day. And it was just, uh, yeah, it was just interesting to see how he came in and he, he didn't miss a beat in that event. Sakurama hasn't been kind to him, um, that kind to him in the last couple of years on the CT mm. level. So um, hopefully for his sake, that that win there in the Challenger Series given him a bit of a confidence and, and figured out the lineup a little bit going into next year. Right. And, you know, going back to, it's almost an interesting bookend to the opening event on the 22 Challenger Series where the Snapper Rocks event had a, a large field of CT level surfers. Um, similarly, for all the Challenger Series surfers who are looking to qualify for the CT in 2023, competing all year, and then having to see in the flesh what that level looks like, it, it reminds me of that, you know, true detective quote, you know, and like a lot of dreams, there's a monster at the end of it. It's like, well, here's the monster. Like, here's what you're going to have to deal with next year, which is, it's, it's very cool to watch. 
Yeah, I'm sure it was a bit of an eye-opener just watching him go about his business and how he, how he does things for a lot of the surfers that have never been around <clears throat> a surfers of that caliber and seen how they approach the sport. Um, and yeah, he really he really did put on a show. He was doing it all, airs, big turns. Um, and he really wanted it. Like he was, there were some crazy paddle battles and priority fights and stuff like that. That it was just awesome to see how much he wanted the win because sometimes you see surfers they're like they're just happy to be there to go through the reps and get ready for next year. But uh, Gabe Gabe went there with one thing on his mind and that was to win. So yeah, it was good to see for sure. Well, we're gonna go to one more break uh, before we get to the upcoming final event of the 2022 Challenger Series, and we'll be right back. All right, so so we had that excellent breakdown of the 22 Challenger Series up until now. This episode is dropping days before the big finale, the, the Holly of a Challenger with an event window that runs from November 26th through December 7th. You know, we're recording on November 15th. It's a little bit early, but, but you know, as someone in your position, do you start looking at, at forecasts now? Like, and if so, what have, what have you seen in, in sort of those early models for the event window? Of course I do. I'm always looking. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was just looking before and it, and it's, it is too early, but I, I look anyway. Um, and it looks like there could be some decent waves on day one at this stage, but it's, it's Hawaii and it's the, the ocean there is quite volatile and it changes a lot. So we'll keep checking. Mm. Um, but it's a good sign that there's been a lot of swell already. Um, a lot of, a lot of West in it already. So which Haliva mm. loves. Um, so yeah, hoping for a hoping for a great event. The good thing is we've got like eleven or twelve days waiting period, and we we only need four days to run the whole event yep. because it's a it's a title format, um, which really helps us pick the hours out of it. So I'm sure we'll get some great conditions. You know, we talked about the the three surfers who are locked on on the women's side in you know Macy Callahan and Molly Picklum and and Katie Simmers, which means there's there's two spots up for grabs. Um, at the Holly Eva Challenger on the women's side. Um, those two spots are currently occupied by Betty Luskara Johnson and Teresa Bonvalot. And then there are challengers like Alyssa Spencer, Bronte McCallade, Nikki Van Dyke, and, and others that are circling as well. What are your, I'm not going to ask you to pick favorites, but just based on, you know, those few names and kind of anyone else in the mix set against the backdrop of, of, of Holly Eva, you know, what kind of surfing do you think is going to prevail? Um, and, and how do you rate some of these surfers? Some of these surfers have been on the CT before and, and is that an advantage or, you know, is there, is there that continued generational shift in talent coming through that, that, that could be threatening? Or everything, I suppose. Yeah, no worries. I think if you look at the maths and the probabil probabilities of it, it's almost certain that Betty Lou's made it just based on what mm. she has already. Um, and then you got yep. to take into account she won the event last year. It's a local spot, and sure. she's just unbelievable. She's pro arguably beat, the, beat, beat Carissa last year. Right? Yeah, she's like arguably a, yeah. the best woman surfer out at at, at Haleiwa. Um, and her points total at the moment probably puts her at over ninety nine percent probability of of qualifying. So right. something pretty remarkable would need to happen for her to not make it. So it's mm. almost a, a battle for that final spot, which is going to come down to Alyssa, Teresa, Nikki, um, all of those women who have been amazing this year. And it's going to be hard. It's going to be tough to see whoever doesn't make it, but um, right. it's going to, I mean, hopefully it, the battle goes down in, in great waves in Haleiwa. And uh, yeah, I mean, Alyssa's performance at Sakurama just looked like something clicked because she's, You've kind of seen the talents being there and she just has this crazy speed about her surfing that 
um, she seems to have learned to harness and, um, yeah, she was a, she was a proper standout at Sacramento even before she won. And now it's really put her into a spot for a great chance. And Teresa has just been so consistent this year with huge results. She just does huge turns. She'd be a great addition to the CT too. So, um, it's going to be so cool to watch it all play out in Haliva. Totally. And, you know, because it's the end of the year, because it's Hawaii and, and just part of that system throughout the season, excuse me, we are seeing kind of those apex predators in the women's draw, like Carissa Moore and Gabriella Bryan, like they're coming back. And depending on how the seed list ends up, it, it could wreak havoc on some of these people's you know, qualifying campaigns where it's like, oh crap, I, you know, I drew Carissa early on, I need a result and then I have to perform. But going back to what we've been talking about, it's like, but that is the level you're going to have to match and meet when you get to the CT in 23. Exactly. And, and the good thing about Haliva too, is if you draw Carissa, it's not the end of the world because it's, it's four person heats. So mm. even if Carissa does have a blunder of a heat, you can still go for, go for a second, get through and improve your heat, your, your total. And, um, I mean, Betty Lou proved it last year. She went out there and smashed everybody It's unbelievable performance. Um, so yeah. And on the men's side, you know, we, we, we talked about Ryan and Leo and Rio have locked their spots, which means there there's seven uncertain openings that are currently being held by Ramsey Bukiam, Ian Gentile, Liam O'Brien, Maxime Husineau, Zhao Xianke, Ezekiel Lau, and Dylan Moffat with surfers like Morgan Sibilic, Michael Rodriguez, and, and Aton Osborne all hovering. You know, Trav, I, I, don't, I don't mean to call out your, your goofy-footed credentials, but Ryan Callanan's locked. Ramsey is the only other one in the mix at the moment. What happened on the Challenger Series to our goofy footers? I don't know. I don't know. I actually didn't think of it until you brought it up. Now I'm upset. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. You know, I, I'll, I'll look a little further down the rankings. We got Jacob Wilcox at 15th. You Jean Deru at 16th. They're in the mix. They could be. They could. They could threaten with a run in Haleiwa. Yeah, yeah, you never know. There's so many points still on the line. Um, but with but going back to Ramsey and and Ian, they're all looking again at the math and the probabilities. They're also almost certain to make it with the points total they're on. It's not a mathematical guarantee, and and stranger things have happened. But sure. they're looking really good for for qualification. Those two. Um, but it's going to well, be. Hold, hold, real, let's pause on those two real quick because I think they both. I, I want to get your take on this because I think they both present super interesting stories, you know, in, in, in similar, you know, Ramsey, he's a goofy footer from Morocco. He was part of the Quicksilver program for a long time. He's been on the qualifying series for a very long time. And he's, he is such a high level talent. He charges, he's powerful, he's stylish. He's good on his forehand is his backhand in recent years. He hasn't had a main sponsor, you know, and, and, it's very cool to see him battle his way to this level and then to let his surfing um, show itself, you know, and, 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 and showcase that he is an elite level surfer. Not 100% dissimilar to Ian Gentile, who I think, I'm going to screw this up. It was either eight years old or 12 year olds. But at one of those levels, I remember this is years ago, Andy Iron said he was like the best, insert eight or 12, 12 year old on the planet. And, and that is a huge reputation to live up to and he had you know pretty high level sponsorship for a number of years a lot of attention then kind of went away in in recent years he hasn't had that same level of support but he's another one who cracked his talent cracked himself onto the challenger series and now he has a chance to be at the show it it's really kind of proving out the 
the objective meritocracy of, of the system in a way that isn't 100% reliant on the surfing industrial complex. It, you couldn't have said it better. Those, those two guys that are pretty much almost there this year wouldn't be there if it wasn't for the, for the system change. That is 100% sure. And um, just going back to Rams, yeah, he, if, if he does make it this year, he's going to avoid being probably the best surfer never to qualify. Um, because mm. he was in, he was definitely in that list of of top five best surfers to to have done the QS and and just never made it, and it's just so good to see him. I mean, he's, even amongst all the surfers on tour, he's just such a favorite just because of his talent level and his personality, and just to see it all finally coming to fruition this year. Um, so he's going into Haliva with a great shot, and he will be an absolute weapon on that CT. The the repertoire he has, the size of turns he can do. Um, it's, I can't wait to see him out at places like J-Bay and Bells, and he's really good in the barrel too. So he's going to be such an interesting, if he does get it across the line, he's going to be such an interesting addition. And and it's so cool. Ian's definitely been a sentimental favorite this year just because of the path he's had. And like you said, coming up mm. with all the hype and then kind of just going absolutely missing for multiple years. And this year yeah. he's just quietly gone about his business. He's such a humble and quiet guy, but as soon as he paddles out and that siren goes, he's just an animal. Um, and he's, his, he's also just got such a good game, just big turns. He's Hawaiian, he charges. Um, so, uh, you know, and both of those surfers are pretty aptly suited to hell either. So um, I'm excited to see how they, how they handle the pressure going to this last event. Very cool. Well, for for lineup listeners that have not been tuning into the challenger series yet this season, which means I probably need to do a better job. Um, what is your message to them on why they should tune into this final stop at the Holly of a Challenger? I guess my message would be these are the surfers that are going to be taking it to the world's best next year and becoming the world's best and, and going to be going up against the current world champions and getting in the mix. And we've got some, it's probably some of the best crop that we've ever had coming through, um, both men and women. We've got from surfers that we felt like have deserved to be there for many a year to young surfers coming through that have been pegged for stardom. Um, so it's the most interesting and exciting batch of surfers we've had for quite some time. That's a good message. So everyone should definitely tune into the Holly of a Challenger. It'll stream live on worldsurfleague.com and the WSL app. Uh, before you go, we put out some questions to our Instagram community at the lineup pod. Um, you got a shit ton of questions. <laughs> so, <laughs> I did. We've, oh yes, oh yeah, a lot of questions for the uh, the Q missioner. But we've we've whittled it down to uh, to three uh, with a bonus one. Um, the uh, first question is from at ninety Lou sixty five, who asks, "What do you consider were your most notable mental strengths while you were competing on the championship tour?" I think. I think my main attribute was just persistence. Uh, I, I was persistent in everything I did, whether it was training, um, just mul just taking multiple losses on the chin and just keeping going. Because you have to be a little bit insane to, to lose as much as you do and keep flying around the world and doing it over and over again until eventually it, it, it cracks. Um, so <laughs> long story short, probably persistence and the ability to brainwash myself to, uh, that I was one of the best in the world. 
Well, it, you were. You are. Like, I, I, to this day, I maintain you're the best surfer I've ever seen at Surf Ranch, which is not a knock. And and yeah, every time I get to surf with you, I'm like, you should, you should, you should be, you should be on the ZT still. You are an incredible surfer. We're lucky to have you. Second uh, question is from at Natan underscore Day, who asks, "Why surf El Porto if you can surf anywhere?" That's a good question. <laughs> That's an amazing question. Um, I guess again, long story short, it's the closest to my house. Um, which is not close. It's still 40 minutes to get there. Um, so if I'm going anywhere else, it's going to be about an hour. Uh, but I do surf Malibu a bunch. I surf around Malibu, especially in the, in the summer. And then in the wintertime, I tend to hover around El Porto with the odd little dot down south or up north to, to your zone. But um, yeah, El Porto is definitely the staple for the wintertime. It, the, the banks get pretty incredible. It's kind of underrated, especially in like February. It, it can... Look like France a little bit. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell the French. <laughs> uh, last question. Uh, well, actually, no, we have a bonus question. Uh, this next one's from Et Dan JC264, who asks uh, Is the process for deciding on locations more difficult for the championship tour or the Challenger Series events? I guess you could kind of take this question two, way, two ways. First way, and maybe you should answer both. First way would be. In terms of setting the schedule uh, for the CT and Challenger Series seasons, is it more, which is more difficult or what is the process like for both? And then secondly, once you're there, we have venues, we've got backup venues. How do you, how do you make those decisions on where you compete? Yeah, I think setting the schedule for the CT, setting the schedule for any tour is uh, far more difficult than, than what people would assume but i'd say setting the schedule for the ct is is probably a little bit easier because those events trump everything else so if you mm. can get a location you're going to put it in the time of year that's best for that wave um it trumps anything else that could potentially go on those dates and then when you have the challenger series that's the that's the next level down so you kind of have to fit in between cts and it's it's got to happen after the cut so it can be quite quite challenging and then you got to assess the locations and the quality of waves um which we've done an amazing job at and we're super proud of the tour. So it's 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 a complicated little kind of game of Tetris that we play with all these events and these and these dates. But um we always have wave quality and uh event location like the infrastructure and all that sort of stuff and for making sure the competition is held to the highest regard for sure. Love it. And uh we got a bonus question from I'm not sure where, but it's in the outline. Uh and it asks did you ever have your tennis death match with Eric Logan? He claims you were ducking him. <laughs> we we did. We did. And uh, I probably should have let him win because he's the CEO. <laughs> but I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> he wouldn't have appreciated that. I'm yeah. sure he, he appreciates the no, competition. No, it was actually that. a titanic battle because we are almost <laughs> identical levels. So it was, a great, it was a great game of tennis. Looking forward to the rematch. Excellent. Well, thank you to everyone that wrote in questions at, at the lineup pod. If we didn't get to them, uh, please reach out on message and we, we do our best to answer everybody there. Uh, before you go, we're going to do the lightning round, which you've done before, but we're going to see how your answers match up. These are 10 questions for you to answer as quickly as you can. If you could only have one board set up for the rest of your life, single fin, twin fin, thruster, quad, bonzer, or finless, which would you choose? Thruster. Coffee or tea? Coffee all day. Burrito or pizza? Pizza all day. 
All right, three for three. If you if you're four for four after this one, we've got to talk about your literary habits. What is the last book you read? The WSL rule book. It's riveting. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. Uh, best surf film ever. Billabong Pam. Hmm. One wave you never have to go back to. Oh, I can't remember what I said last time. Oh, I got the answer right here. I'm interested. <laughs> I can't remember what. And I feel, I don't know. I don't know. I'm such a frother. Probably, probably Canada, just because I absolutely love the place, but it was just too cold for me. The water. Fair enough. Fair enough. You said bells last time, but I think oh, last okay. time we were doing a little so bit cold. more like, <laughs> be true. And also I think, I think we are a little bit, the conversation is a little bit more, this is your life and your career on the CT. So you're probably in the like, nah, yeah. I don't have to compete there again. If you only get to surf one wave for the rest of your life. New pair. Mm-hmm. Best person to share a lineup with? My brothers. Worst person to share a lineup with? Dave Prodan. <laughs> what? What? I, I didn't catch this last time. I don't know why I'm not that fun. I don't get a lot of waves. <laughs> no, I don't. But it's con- consistent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Probably, I don't know. I have a few pesty friends. I have My one-way JP only goes right, so it doesn't matter if he's had 10 waves in a row. <laughs> If another right comes, he's going again. <laughs> so, I love him, but he's the worst person to serve with. I love it. Uh, last one. Finish this sentence. I will next achieve a state of happiness by... Drinking coffee and eating pizza. Love it. Travis Logie, thank you so much for this conversation um, and being my friend and uh, colleague at work. Appreciate you and uh, awesome awesome season on the challenger series can't wait to see how it culminates at the holly of a challenger in just a few days and i will uh i'll see you on the ground in hawaii 100 thanks debbie thanks for having me so that's it that's the lineups conversation with south africa's travis logie i hope you enjoyed it the final event of the 2022 WSL Challenger Series, the Haleiwa Challenger, will determine the final qualifying class for the 2023 Championship Tour and starts in just a few days on November 26th. The event will stream live at worldsurfleague.com and on the WSL app. Do not miss it. This episode is produced by Miguel Clemente with art direction by Jason Penning and copywriting by Dan Willen. Thanks to them and thanks to our sponsors. We appreciate their support. The lineup acknowledges that is recorded and produced on the ancestral lands of the Chumash and the Kumaye native people. I hope you safely get some waves wherever you are, and we'll see you next Tuesday. <laughs>